Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Um, I'm a little jacked up on caffeine this morning. I just spent a week with uh, speaking at a summer camp with a bunch of teenagers. I have the paintball bruises to show it all over my body. Um, shoot the camp speaker. There he is. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Uh, um, I went, um, had an incredible time. What's a blessing here is that as an opportunity to be able to go out from Coastal Community Church, we saw six kids give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And um, that, that's exciting. But then there were countless other decisions for Christ. The theme of the camp was called All In. And uh, it's just an, it was an opportunity for the kids to recognize, am I all in for Jesus Christ or not? And uh, it was exciting to watch all of these kids just change the way that they're thinking. Um, because transformation comes when, not when we make an emotional decision, but when we make a cognitive turn. Repentance means to change the mind. And um, it was just neat to watch these students change the way that they were thinking about things. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue on in our Christ above all message. And, um, and above all Christ. This morning we're going to continue where we left off last week, where Pastor Sean left, left off last week. And we're going to um, work through this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and following, but I want, to start, I want to start in verse 6. I know Pastor Sean's already spoken on that, but this section kind of all fits together, and the verses that we're really going to look at this morning, um, you're going to need to kind of have a handle to understand. When you want to understand the context of something, don't just look at one verse. Look at the few verses before it and the few verses after it so that you understand the context of it. Then look at it in regards to the context of the chapter, then context of the book, and then context of the Word of God. When we look at different passages of Scripture on the screens, what we're doing is where else in the Bible does it talk about that? So when I say, hey, let's look at this passage of Scripture in a different place, what I'm saying is, hey, there's some other places in Scripture that the Bible talks about this. And so it goes together. The Word of God fits together so that we can better understand it. And uh, the Word of God checks with the Word of God. It is not a confusing book for those that study to show themselves approved unto God and that have the Holy Spirit of God to help them divide and rightly divide it, the Word of Truth. So... Colossians chapter 2, verses 6, and we're going to stop at verse 14. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Precious Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you, Lord God, that through the power of your spirit, you can use this word, and we ask that you would use the word to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. We ask, Lord God, that you would teach us your word, that you would change the way that we think, that you would conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord God, for setting us free. Thank you, Lord God, for your wonderful work on the cross. Help us to understand the good news. Help us to understand the gospel. We worship you and we love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ above all, today is a great day, because 18 years ago today, I was married to my wonderful wife. We celebrate 18 years. It's really wonderful getting married in 2000, because I can tell you very quickly how long I've been married. It's a blessing. Um, and what was so great is that 18 years ago when we got married, I didn't know if it was going to happen. Um, I'm glad she showed up. It took, it took a while for me to pursue her. Um, in fact, she was like, yeah, I, I'm going back to China to teach English. You know, it's great. I'm not really that interested in you. And I was like, well, that's great because I'm interested in you. And, um, and so after lots of begging and pleading, she said, well, okay, we'll go out on a date. And after we dated, what was neat was my wife wasn't waiting. Her identity wasn't in the fact that she was a single woman. Her identity wasn't in the fact that she was waiting for her life to start by finding a husband or something. Her identity was in that person and work of Jesus Christ. And so she was faithfully serving the Lord already in the church she was already part of a prayer group. She was um, discipling teenage girls. She was serving the Lord. She had a job. She was, and she was going to go back to China to teach English. And I was so impressed with the fact of who God had created 
to be and what she was doing for the Lord and how her identity was so wrapped up in Jesus Christ that I was like, man, I really want to be with this woman. And everything else for her, she was so focused that everything else was just kind of a distraction, including me. And, um, and so I was, you know, and so I would like pursue her and I'd try to do all like the male, mo- you know, the things that, you know, guys do. It'll be like, notice me, the peacocking is what I call it. Have you ever seen the male peacock when they see the female? They're like, whoosh, and then they like. <laughs> so like I was peacocking around my wife, you know, my wife to be like, whoosh. And a lot of times, a lot of other female, females would be like, oh, wow. And she would just be like, Psh, you know, and I'm going to go serve the Lord. And um, thank God that um, she, had a, she had her time with Jesus and God came to her. In a, no, he didn't come to her in a dream, but he might have had to. And uh, she married me. Um, but I was captured by her, her love for Christ. I was captured by her beauty. I was captured by her. And this morning, it's my prayer that you are captured by Christ. Captured means to take one's possession or to take possession of something. It, it, it's to rob you by force. And, um, and, and I think that it's a great picture that we voluntarily allow ourselves to be captured by Christ. That, that God takes possession of us as we offer ourselves up to him and he takes possession of us, that it's my prayer that you would be captured by Christ, that you would find your identity in Jesus Christ. And this passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul is teaching us is so good that we're going to look at in verses 8 through 14 that we're going to see three truths of how we can be captured by Christ, how God intended us to live that we no longer have to be tossed to and fro by the world, but that we can be captured and captivated by Jesus Christ. And so if you're taking notes, pull out your notes and uh, your lipstick, your pen, mascara, pencil, whatever, and write this down. There's three truths that I want you to get. The first truth is this from here that the Apostle Paul gives us, is that Jesus Christ protects us through the giving of wisdom through his fullness. Jesus Christ protects us. Now look at the Apostle Paul and what he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins and bodily rose from the dead, he... When we invite Christ into our life, the Bible says in Romans 8, 9, that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside us. And this provides us a protection. A protection to, to, to understand what is and what isn't. What we're to follow and believe and what we're not to follow and believe. So that we're not tossed to and fro. James chapter 1 says that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. That we're not to be unstable, but that Christ protects us, that that no one's taking advantage, that we're not being taken in. See, as the Apostle Paul's writing this, human philosophy, humanistic philosophy was entering into the church in a big way. Rome and Greece thought 
was people were overwhelmed and enamored with all this thinking. It was just thinking for the sake of thinking. Yes, very smart people. They would just sit around and they would talk. They wouldn't do anything. They would just sit around and talk. And everyone was being taken in by that. And everybody was taken in by the fact that all of these people are very smart. And there's these philosophies and human traditions and all of these things. And the Apostle Paul's warning them and saying, "Don't don't be captive by these things. He says, because they're high-sounding arguments in the human thinking, and they sound good. They sound like they're right, but they're not. See, it's interesting. The enemy of our soul, he'll take truth, and he'll mix it with some lies, and thus it makes it a lie. But there's enough truth in there that you start shaking your head, yes, yes, I want that, yes, I need that, yes. But if I, if I made brownies for you and I put sugar and chocolate and all these different things and then I put a little bit of poop in it and I said, hey, I have some brownies for you and I baked them and I gave them to you and I said, would you want some of these brownies? They're all, it, 95% of it is all brownie mix. There's just only about 5% poop. Would you eat it? Absolutely not. But that's the way that, sometimes that's the way that the enemy of our soul works. He takes things that we would go, yes, this is true. Yes, yes, yes. And then he inserts lies. Like, Like an example for marriage. Marriage is, wasn't defined by government. It's defined by God in Genesis between man and woman, male and female. And he brings them together to be one flesh. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter how anybody else defines it. That's how God defines it. And so therefore, you can put love and you can put all of these different things in it and, and, and the definitions can change. You can try to change the definitions, but the reality is it's God who defines what things are. And so human tradition or philosophies, empty deceit, all of these things could come about and they can sound good. But it's God, through his word, that defines what is and what isn't. Number two, the root of human logic. Now, I think Christianity is extremely logical. In fact, it was through the logic of Christianity that I came to know Christ. I was going to walk away from the Christian faith when I was in college because I was struggling so much with what I read in the Bible, what I saw other Christians living, and I mean all of the inconsistencies, and, and, I was, and I was struggling, and it was through the logic of Christianity that led me to understand who Christ was, and what he did on the cross, and how he bodily rose from the dead. But the root of the human logic, if it just stops at human logic, and it doesn't take action, then we sometimes can logically worship logic, and it can be our God. And so the sense is logic is this process of thought. And if, it's, if it doesn't motivate us to faith, then logic can, will stop. There's a place that stops. Thomas Aquinas is a great man of reason, and what he said was this. There is a ceiling that which logic hits that faith has to begin. Now, For Christianity, I think that ceiling is a lot higher than other religions and other things. 
But the reality is there is that ceiling that hits that there has to come a point where you repent, believe, and receive that Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. And there has to come that point where we can logically can discuss it all we want. But once we hit that ceiling, we have to step out by faith. Because without faith, the Bible says it is impossible to please God. They that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So logic is extremely important, but there is that ceiling that it hits, that faith begins. And the Apostle Paul is saying don't be taught, brought down by just human logic and that just be the end all be all. Now I think we should be logical in our faith. He says that there are spiritual powers of deception that are at work that are trying to twist human logic. Trying to make that which is unlogical, logical. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest man. Namely, the cross of Jesus Christ, what everybody looks and says, that's foolishness, is wiser than anything that man could comprise or create. And so you have 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that has not confessed Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and was coming and now is in the world already. Jesus is God that separates Christianity and, and the Christian faith, what we would serve as the gospel, from all other beliefs concerning about Jesus. Lots of people believe Jesus is maybe a God, but he is not the God. Jesus is God. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, in, in, when John is writing that, it says, The Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and coming, and now is in the world already. And they're like, well, the Antichrist was in the world already. Then when we don't have anything to worry about because isn't he supposed to come like in the end and stuff? Like in, ooh, you know, the Antichrist? And the reality is that Satan doesn't know when Christ is going to return, so every generation has its own Antichrist. Okay? That's just for free, and we're moving on. All right, here we go. Fullness of God is Jesus Christ, because there was a lot of confusion about that in the first service, so I'm just clearing it up for you now. Third is this, when we understand that Jesus protects us through the giving us of wisdom, through the fullness, the fullness of God is the person of Jesus Christ. Look what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 9, for in him, who's him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The person, the body of Jesus Christ, in the body, in the person of Jesus Christ, the entire person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God dwelled. Not part of God, not a, per, a percentage of God, all of God dwelled in Jesus. This is significant because only God in his entirety could pay for our sins. Only God could appease the wrath of God. 
I know that's confusing. It's the Trinity. One times one times one equals one. It's the best I can do. Moving on. Here we go. That was free too. All right. The fullness of God is Jesus Christ. So in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, if you've been listening to the series, he sets up the whole idea of the supremacy of Christ and sufficiency of Christ. And in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Saying that the fullness of all of God dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. This is extremely important. As we continue to look forward to the fact that Christ is the one who pays for our sin. So then number four is this, in the subpoint, it's that our completion then is in our union with Christ. I never looked at my wife and go, you complete me. You had me at hello. No, there wasn't any of that. My wife does not complete me. In fact, humankind is all incomplete without Christ. The completion of me, the completion of you, Christian, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ working and breathing and living and moving in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're looking to complete yourself with money, power, a house, a child or children, if you're looking to find your completion in anything other than Jesus Christ, you will live a life incomplete. You don't need someone or something to complete you. Your union with Christ, Christian, completes you. In fact, the apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says that our completion is this, that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Ephesians chapter 1, 3, put, bring that up. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is amazing. I love this passage because most people think that God blessing me is with material stuff. I have to get stuff, and that's how, I, that's how you know I'm blessed. The reality is stuff has nothing to do with it. You're blessed. You know why? Because, Christian, you have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, guess what? You're incomplete. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. You lack nothing. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Romans 8, 9. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ in them, they don't belong to Him. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, it's my prayer that you would come to know Jesus Christ and you would receive Him into your life. Because our completion is in our union with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this, and you have been filled in him. What's he talking about? You, you're in union. You've been filled in him, who is the head and the rule and authority. Christ's wisdom and authority is over all. And because of that, and because he dwells in you, he gives you the wisdom to protect you. To understand what is true and what is not true. 
Don't be deceived. The enemy wants to take things to make you go, yeah, 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 that sounds pretty true, and deceive you. They will mix truth. They will take themes that you will agree with, and they will twist it to their own game. William Shakespeare said, even the devils quote scripture when it serves his purpose. Remember Jesus being tempted by the devil? What did the devil do? The devil quoted scripture to him and twisted it. If he'll do it with Christ, don't you think he'll do it with us? And there'll be many people led astray. That's why people go and they move in the middle of nowhere and sell all their stuff and give it to them and then they drink Kool-Aid and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But if you have Christ, wisdom and authority is over because he possesses it and he gives it to us. That's how Jesus Christ protects us through the giving of the wisdom and through his fullness, the fullness being Christ. Truth number one. Truth number two, Jesus Christ provides us with a new heart through his power. Jesus Christ provides us with a new heart through his power. What's the whole idea? I mean, it says circumcision a lot, and that should make some of us very uncomfortable, especially us male genders. And it's talking about circumcision, physical circumcision, spiritual circumcision. What is all of that having to do? What is he talking about? Here, here it is. The bottom line is this, that Jesus Christ provides us with a new heart through his power. He, it, I love what... We're going to see it here in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Ezekiel prophesied about what was going to happen. He was prophesying about a spiritual circumcision that was coming, and that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. It's the cutting back of our sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. We are spiritually dead, which means that all we know is sin. To a lost person, all they know is their sin. So it means it's not surprising that they lie. Why are you lying? Well, because they're lost. They don't know Christ. There's no spirit of God in them saying, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. They lie. Why are you doing these things? Because, guess what? Humankind is corrupt because of sin. And we have a sinful nature. And spiritual circumcision, when you believe and receive, repent of the God, or your sin, you believe who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is God, he died on the cross for our sins, he bodily rose from the dead, and you receive him into your life, okay, you receive him, John 1, 14, and he comes into your life, one of the things that happens is that God takes the spiritual scalpel and he scalpels out by putting in his Holy Spirit part of your sinful nature so that it is no longer that which controls you and he gives you a new heart. Now, you still have the tension of your sinful nature in your life. Romans chapter 7. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. Yay! New heart. Yay! But your sinful nature doesn't go away. No! And there's this tension then that takes place and occurs in your life. And the Apostle Paul in Ezekiel, I mean, is quoting and referring to Ezekiel 36 because Ezekiel prophesied about this, and this is what he said. And I will give you a new heart. This is God talking to his people. And a new spirit I will put within you. 
talking of the Holy Spirit, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How wonderful is that, right? And I will put my spirit within you. Notice that's first. And, what's the byproduct now? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The problem was, before God sent his Holy Spirit to us, after Christ rose from the dead, he sent the Holy Spirit. You can read about it in Acts is they could not keep the statutes and careful to obey his rules because they did not have the Spirit within them. Now we have the Holy Spirit of God within us and we can keep his statutes and keep his rules. Before we couldn't. Isn't that awesome? That's good stuff. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, in him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, at Christ cutting away that sinful nature to put a new heart in you. Now, like, I, I had cancer. Some of you maybe knew that or whatever. At 23, it was terminal. It was all bad and everything. Well, one of the things that they did was they cut out one of the tumors because it was growing in my eye and it was going to affect my sight eventually. So when they cut, uh, it was very, very painful. Very, yeah, it was, it's, it's just painful. She said, when she put the shot in, she goes, they had to keep me awake for it. She goes, this is going to feel like a bee sting in your eyeball. And, like, and I'm like, and, it, and I, my comment to her was like, and that's supposed to help me? How? And, and anyway, and what she did is what she had to do was she, she surgically removed the skin that was growing and overtaking my eye, okay, this tumor that I had in my head. And, and what was happening, and, and so, but she couldn't get it all, okay, because there was other things there, so she couldn't get it all, so she, it was still there. So Christ, he cuts back our sinful nature, but he can't get it all, because guess what? It's in our flesh, and so we have the new heart, we have the Holy Spirit of God, but our sin nature is still there, and therefore that's the battle that exists in our lives. Make sense? Some people are like, well, I have a new heart, I should never sin anymore. No, the reality is you still have your sin nature. He didn't get it all. He doesn't get it all until we get new bodies. That's why the bodily resurrection is so important. When we get our new bodies, they guess what? No more pain, no more back pain. No more pain, no more suffering. We get new. But now we get to experience spiritually our new life in Christ, although physically we don't get to experience the completion of it until Christ returns and we get our new bodies. But then he gives this example, but having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him in, through faith and the power working in God. So the idea is we trusted Christ it's the beauty of baptism. Remember baptism? We do these baptisms and stuff. Buried, buried with him in death, raised to walk in newness of life. It's the symbol. It's that, it's that picture that when I'm alive in Christ and I have the spirit of Christ in me, I'm dead to my old life. I go under the water saying, dead, old life, gone. Raised to walk in newness of life. I come out of the water. And my old life is dead, and now I am alive in Christ. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power now that lives inside me. 
And so that's the beauty of baptism. If you've never been baptized, you need to go to the Welcome Center and get baptized. Because what you're doing is you're proclaiming what Christ has done inwardly, outwardly. That's why we do baptism. So raised to walk in newness of life. So the first truth is the truth that Christ protects us through giving wisdom and the fullness of Christ. Number two, Jesus Christ provides us with a new heart through his power, the power of the resurrection. And truth number three is that Jesus Christ produced new life in spiritually dead people through his forgiveness. Jesus Christ produced a new life in spiritually dead people through his forgiveness. This is the key. This is, this is where we're going to just camp out and finish. Because he raised us from the dead... The dead, spiritually dead, he raised us from being spiritually dead. See, that's the thing. Ephesians 2.1 says, but you were spiritually dead. Go ahead and bring that, bring that up. Hopefully everybody's written it down. Ephesians 2, it's going to come up in 1, 2, there we go, there we go. Two, no, that's 2.14, I need 2.1. Okay, never mind. All right, forget it. And I'll just tell you what it says. It says that you're spiritually dead. <laughs> I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pop up. Is it going to pop up? Okay. We are dead without Christ. We are spiritually dead without Christ. So Christ produces new life and that which is dead. And the Apostle Paul is saying, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Ephesians 2, 1, there it is, ah, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. It's the exact same language that the Apostle Paul is using in Ephesians that he's using here in Colossians. But then here in Colossians, he goes a little bit further to explain it. And the uncircumcision, God made alive together with him. Now, what, how did he do this? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Don't you want to be forgiven? Haven't you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? See, Christ forgave us on the cross. And he canceled the record of debt on our account. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me put it this way, is that God has a ledger of every sin we've ever committed in his ledger. Every sin we've ever thought partaken of, done, the sin that we carry, the sin that defines us, all of this, God has a ledger, a record. Look what it says here in verse 14. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Then, what, what trespasses? By, how did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What were the legal demands? The legal demands are that sin, the wages of sin, is death. Ephesians chapter 6, I mean Romans chapter 6, but the wages of sin is death. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Which means this, Christ restored everything on the cross. That means that ledger of debt... Like some of you, like my wife's is probably like this. Like mine was like, woo. Some of you might have, woo. Some of you might have, woo. Some of you might, Christians, some of you might still be carrying that, woo. He canceled it. It's paid. He nailed it to the cross. Every sin you've ever committed, past, present, future. Wait a second, Pastor, you don't understand. I had an abortion. Wait a second, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I, I struggle with same-sex attraction. I've, I've, I, you don't understand. I've committed adultery. I've committed fornication. You don't understand, Pastor. I've done, I, I've done, I'm divorced, and I've been remarried, and I'm divorced, and I've been remarried, and, or I cheated on my spouse. Or You don't understand. Hey, I understand. Because Christ paid for it on the cross. And for you to say that didn't work or you don't understand is for you to call God a liar. His word is true. Every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future, no longer defines you. Christ does. And for you to think, oh man, I'm an adulterer, and to wear that scarlet letter, or to wear the shame of your sin over and over and over again, it doesn't define you. We don't understand. I continue to fall into pornography, or I continue to fall into whatever. Listen, Christ continues to forgive. It's still on the cross. When you guys came in, guess what? Listen, oh man, I'm disqualified from ministry because I didn't do good, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or... Or I'm disqualified from serving. Yeah, I want to serve with the kids, but I can't because I have sin. Oh, man, get in line. Is your sin forgiven? Yes. Did he pay for it on the cross? Yes. Did he cancel the record of your debt? Yes. You got a three-by-five card when you came in. Are you ready? Write down that sin that defines you or that you define yourself with. Divorce. Pornography, whatever, legalism, right? Whatever it is, hating your parents, unforgiveness, whatever, whatever you've confessed to the Lord and that continues to creep back in and you could continue to paralyze yourself with and not move forward, write it down on this, fold it in half. That's what I want you to do right now. And you don't want anybody to look, so just kind of like, don't, don't, don't look. Write it down. And then come with me. Because he canceled the record of your debt. And he nailed it to the cross. And you come. And this is how we're going to end the service. Worship team's going to come out at some point. And, and my, 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 my averages aren't good. Um, taking this. And it says he nailed it to the cross. And come up here. And put that sin there. And you nail it to the cross. God already nailed it to the cross. And nail it, and nail it in there, and just nail it, look, and go. And leave it. I threw it at the pregnant woman, oh my gosh. 
thank God. That was like adrenaline pumping. Let's pray. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to nail that one to the cross, too. Sorry. It's not emotional. That's it. That's for sure. Hey, listen. Nail it to the cross. Whatever your sin is, however you define yourself, however you've written, whatever you've written down, guess what? Christ nailed it to the cross, you nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. The record's been paid. The ledger is clear. You can pay for it yourself or you can have Christ pay for it. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and he bodily rose from the dead. And by faith you believe and receive him into your life. When you do this... What you're saying is, Jesus, thank you for nailing it to the cross. No longer let your sin define you anymore. No longer, no longer do you want your sin to define you. Christ, I want you to define me, and I want to be defined by you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray. And then you come, you nail it to the cross, you walk out the door free. You walk out forgiven. You walk out justified, sanctified. You walk out in newness of life. Let's pray. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed right now. You say, Lord, I know I've given you this a hundred times, but this is a hundred and one. I no longer want this to sin to define me, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. You nailed it to the cross, and now I nail it to the cross. Because, God, I know that I'm forgiven. Precious Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw people to yourself, that you would help them to recognize, Lord God, that they are forgiven once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.